Hello, and welcome to the Agile Planet podcast. My name is Mandar Kulkarni, and I'm the host of this podcast. I will be interviewing the Agile experts from all over the world, taking the pulse of the planet Agile. Hope you enjoy it. Thank you for joining. Hello, and welcome to the Agile Planet podcast. Today we are here with another guest, and our today's guest is from Pune, India. Pune being my hometown, I have a special affiliation, of course, with this guest, and his name is Vishal, Vishal Prasad. To introduce himself quickly, I can say that Vishal is an agile practitioner by day and a podcaster by night. Passionate about agility, Vishal has more than a decade of experience in multiple industry verticals. He is author in the making, also educator, blogger, and he is the organizer of a business agility meetup that happens in Pune. With this short introduction from my side, I would welcome Vishal with a request that he can introduce himself with a little bit more details than what I did for him. So Vishal, uh, you are welcome to uh, this podcast and go ahead and introduce yourself to us. Yep. Thanks a lot, Mandar. Uh, really get, uh, great to be a part of your podcast. Yeah, so uh, I have been an Agile enthusiast for quite some time now. I don't really remember when the transition happened. Uh, but I'm, I'm happy that it happened. And uh, it, it's just been an amazing journey even for me. And yeah, as you said, author in the making. Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of a goal that I've been trying to achieve since the past three years. And it's uh, I think I'm just procrastinating on that. But hopefully it happens this year. Uh, and yeah, let's see how it goes. So I'm currently uh, engaged with uh, as a consultant uh, with ThoughtWorks uh, in Pune. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, ThoughtWorks kind of goes synonymous with a lot of uh, agile uh, initiatives that have happened in the past, and it's still known for its uh, for a lot of the differences that that you can compare with other companies. So I'm really lucky to be a part of it, mm-hmm. and it's it's more or less like a DNA. So uh, anything that I do, I hope that it speaks uh, something at the level of values and principles about. Uh, let's say the manifesto, extreme programming, and other stuff. So yeah, that okay. that's me. Perfect, perfect. So let's let's um, get started a little bit from your work perspective. You are saying mm-hmm. uh, that we are with a company which is a consulting company. Am I right? Yep. Yeah. So as a as a consultant from this company, I'm sure you must have worked for various clients, and as we described, you have a experience from multiple verticals pick up mm-hmm. a couple of um, great experiences that you had in your career where um, with specific focus on where you had to implement agile in such a way which is little bit unusual way of doing it or what i would say which is not recommended by the books but you tweaked it you tuned it you adjusted it in such a way that it fits the culture of the organization and the adoption mm-hmm. goes up. 
Yeah, so I, I wouldn't say that I did something that is tweaked uh, by the books, but there are tweaks. Um, mm-hmm. The tweaks are more at the practices level. Mm-hmm. Uh, the principles and values don't really change. Sure. So even if I, let's say, if I go back to basics, when you say uh, individuals and interactions over processes and tools, mm-hmm. that's the value. You still stick with it. How you achieve that, the practice behind it can be different. And especially in my context, a lot of the things or a lot of the projects that I've worked on, uh, they have usually been distributed between different countries. So the clients are usually, um, so I usually work with European and UK clients, Mm -hmm. uh, but I work out of India. So we are already remote in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. And I guess the practices where it get tweaked automatically, not, not something that we try out, but let's say the constraints make us do it. Mm. So let's take, for example, if if I'm talking scrum, okay. Mm. And uh, in my previous organization, I worked with uh, a lot of uh, German clients, which automatically gives me like a four and a half or three and a half uh, hours difference based on the, uh, uh, the time of the year. Uh, But let's say that if I'm towards the end of my iteration Mm -hmm. and I have to go through the regular review and retrospective, but you don't have a lot of overlap. So what do you do? Mm. And that's when it, it, it starts becoming creative or tricky at the same time as to how do you ensure that you still don't waste a lot of time, but you achieve what you want to achieve. So there are a few tweaks which which happen. For example, let's take the daily uh, meetings that we have, whether we call it daily stand-up or daily scrum, depending on uh, what people use. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rule still remains the same. Once 24 hours, you plan, and it shouldn't go beyond 15 minutes, sure. Uh, but because of the time zone, uh, a lot of things change. Like usually in India, if you go to office in the morning, the first thing that you would expect would be that you plan your day. Hmm. But now that shifts because you have part of the team, which is in Germany, which has not yet started their day. Their day is still about to start. So your, your planning time kind of shifts <laughs> sometime, something around your lunchtime, uh, which brings its own challenges. So it's perfectly fine if you meet during lunchtime and you plan for the next 24 hours. From a rule perspective, that's perfect. But what do you do if the next day someone falls sick, for example? And then you have to replan in the day anyway. So when you walk into the office in the morning, well, not anymore now we are in COVID situation, but when you would walk into the office in the morning, you would have to replan. So even though your your typical event will say you plan once, planning happens repetitively. Uh, the 15 minute is more like a mandatory planning. You have to do it because that gives you like a goal for the day to achieve, but you will need more frequently for plannings. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of a tweak that happens. And rather, I wouldn't even call it a tweak. That's the freedom that uh, certain rules give you. They make some things mandatory, but the other things you're free to do. And that's that freedom is what brings in agility. Mm. So everything okay. from from these ceremonies, the moment you go remote, all of these ah. things change. Sure. But then what what never happened to me uh, like before, but happened to me just two years back on one of the products that I was working on, 
was again it was the same pune german setup so it was still a german client uh but this time my product owner was the only person who was remote so i'm calling him remote because the rest of the team was in pune mm-hmm. and he was such a wonderful person uh he agreed and said that if it's just two times in two weeks i'm happy to wake up in your hours and ensure that your planning does not get affected that which great. was so cool because i now i had everything that fell into place for my development team they came mm. in the morning to the office they had one stand up for their entire day planning uh they did not have the constraint of oh what happens tomorrow if someone falls sick for example or uh, something something happens because of which people can't show up and my product owner was happy to wake up at 6 in the morning uh <laughs> two days uh in uh, in two weeks just to take care of the planning and review and retrospective which was cool mm. these are kind of like wonderful tweaks that happen but it doesn't break the values and principles and that makes it that makes it a great experience certainly certainly so in all these experiences now since you mentioned that one of your clients was in germany and you have you worked with any other uh, many other european clients i would like to know if you have observed any change in the culture which impacts your project from agile perspective or the way with which agile is adopted from one country in europe to another country or not necessarily only in europe but one country to another country to another country or even you can take it from industry to industry to industry do you see any changes that happen because industry changes because the country changes yeah of course so let's take the country aspect first the mm. cultural differences are obviously there and uh, i think for me the the most uh, the one that stood out the most was uh, when i was working with uh, a few dutch clients mm. now dutch are i like working with them because they are very direct and to the point mm-hmm. and they wouldn't mind giving a bad news or even a good news with a straight face <laughs> and that's that's really amazing to see because if if i want to compare that with let's say uh, someone in the indian context mm-hmm. uh we do feel a little like we feel that it is our responsibility to not give bad news so we try to uh bring out the sweetest possible message i'm not calling it sugar coating but I, we find the sweetest possible message so that others don't feel bad mm-hmm. and i think that that's a place where we kind of uh, sometimes uh, beat around the bush and uh, mm. it it may uh, frustrate a few people especially when i say a few people if you're working with uh, someone who's dutch they'll be open and they'll say just give it to me just tell me on my face what's going on you don't need to be sweet with me you don't need to sugarcoat things for me whatever it is it's fine and these kind of small cultural differences is something that you'll find all the time and uh, it it's like when you start building relationship and when the trust factor comes in and you have spent uh, a considerable amount of time working with them then you look back at these things and you laugh 
because <laughs> then these become funny stories like remember in that meeting where our production had gone down and you were trying to give me the best possible reason why i shouldn't <laughs> be worried about it and these become like funny stories to talk about because at that time we because of because we do not understand each other's cultural differences we just try to be ourselves and i think at that time it it's easier just to know what uh uh what the other uh culture uh, accepts and just act that way but obviously mm-hmm. not everyone is uh, has that knowledge about the cultural sensitivity so uh it may not come naturally to everyone i was lucky enough again uh so around 5 years back when i started working with german and dutch clients i did go through a german and dutch sensitivity uh, class mm-hmm. where they explained these things to me and it was an eye opener in a number of cases for me for example the uh, the german aspect of how they perceive uh, let's say world war versus what the indian textbooks will teach you world war that mm-hmm. has a drastic difference mm-hmm. like there are things which which if we would consider uh, to be um, to be like a good step or like a great step that would have taken in world war no that's not perceived by them at all Mm. and these things were like that were made clear and i was surprised as to how we don't take all of that in our context when we speak with someone for mm. example if you walk into a bookstore in india you'll find hitler's autobiography like a bestseller right in front of the store and you can pick up one of the books and move out and you'll feel that that's an autobiography worth reading <laughs> germans won't feel that like mm. for germany that book is banned you can't sell that book uh, at least not in the open Oh, okay so these are things which which you wouldn't normally come to know and if if you're let's say fresh out of college yeah and your your history is still fresh in your mind whatever <laughs> you have studied in school and suddenly you're thrown in front of a of a german client without this knowledge uh forget agility uh just building up the relationship might go through some ups and downs mm-hmm. uh, so yeah i i think th- these cultural differences do exist and uh it it is important for us to ensure that we do the best that we can to adapt to each other's culture of course um my you you have made a very good point that the interpersonal relationship is where everything starts but yeah. my real uh, question and there may be no good answer for that or may, may not be the best answer for that but my question is these personal relationships and once you understand how these people accept something culturally how they don't accept something culturally the differentiation between what you do in india and what you do with other countries do they make any impact while you work in a agile project that is what my real question it does uh so as i said right if you adapt to each other's uh, way of working then things improve but in the mm. initial phases at least it always does mm. and i think a lot of the times it's uh, it's less to do with the culture but more to do with how educated someone is when they are thinking of agility okay so going back to let's say the example where if i have to give a reasoning of uh, why we should have retrospectives mm-hmm. i need to make someone understand from their cultural standpoint of why someone needs retrospective 
as opposed to i cannot say that we want to have retrospectives because we are agile that will be that won't be a good answer i mean mm-hmm. being agile doesn't mandate that you need to have retrospectives but there's a reason why you would have retrospectives mm-hmm. and it becomes necessary for me to make someone understand the importance of a retrospective and yeah cultural differences may create certain barriers over there uh so language barriers let's say that that still is something that we'll manage because if you are working in a team we would expect that we all speak the same language uh, most mostly for us it is english uh but let's say going back to uh someone who's very uh let's say rigid with their ways of working mm-hmm. and if you want to convince them as to why empirical processes are important or why it has to be integrated in the way of working like if, uh, it's not bad if someone expects that hey every should work everything should work perfectly obviously everything should work perfectly that will be the ideal scenario but that doesn't happen but what you can do is attempt to move towards perfection and that's what ret- retrospectives help yeah. you to do it now this yeah. message is very simple but making this message understand to different people who come from different cultural backgrounds uh, even different experiences for example an organization that has been a very command and control kind of a thing for them to understand make them understand what self organization is all about and why you need to give the team the freedom to do it it takes mm-hmm. time so yeah. culture is culture is a lot driven by what your past experience has been and what your practices has been so absolutely i think what's necessary is to understand the reasoning behind it and mm-hmm. make the other person understand in the best possible way that they accept their culture and it just cannot be a thing that hey we need to do it because we are agile i, I have heard that answer so many times and i, I <laughs> kind of cringe whenever i hear that like no that yeah. that can't be a reason we do stand ups because we are agile no you do stand ups because you need a day plan so that you have a goal which you can manage and uh, so for me education becomes more important and that's why mm-hmm. i i focus more on education and being an educator Uh, and the cultural aspect obviously is like a secondary thing which you have to manage uh, but it has to be the education that goes into the cultural aspect for me mm-hmm. i agree with you that education is a very significant part of um, being consultant and being agile coach particularly because coaching by default by definition inherently expects that you are a educator while we were talking before this interview you mentioned that education comes in various forms and you mentioned that your podcast your blog is also part of the education tell us little bit about educational aspect of your podcast and your blog sure uh so let's start with uh with the podcast that's that's new okay so the the subtitle i have for my podcast is educating organizations to be awesome Mm. and uh, the title goes enterprise joy and the idea behind it is that your final outcome or the final expected thing is still that you have an organization that has this crazy culture that satisfies people in all aspects that they would expect uh now all aspects may be exaggerated but all aspects for one individual and every individual will have different aspects but the idea is how would you even understand what is it that satisfies your people 
if you do not know the let's say the latest research that has happened or the way the organization behavior works and that's where the educational aspect comes in so on on the podcast uh, i will i'll usually discuss about these theories uh which have been proven to be better ways of running organizations or running teams or running products and it wouldn't be like a blackboard session i wouldn't show up some uh some text or uh, some ppts and just say hey this is how you should do it i'm not even asking you that this is how you should do it it's mm. more of a discussion mm. uh, we discuss like hey have you done this before and how has that proven for you or what mm. if you do it differently and what will be the possible result and these kind of discussions is something that brings out more ideas yeah and that's why i say education comes in different forms so it wouldn't be like a webinar it will be a discussion but just listening to it should give you enough ideas that you can go and make certain changes in your organization so that's also one form of education uh blogging is more direct uh blogging is just taking up a topic and uh stating the facts with mm. proper references hey this is what it is so if you have some confusion please get it clarified and mm-hmm. um, it it will be it's not very acceptable to a lot of people about the general education or rather let me put it this way if we believe that we only learn by experience uh then that will be wrong mm-hmm. there are certain things which come out of experience and pop out as sound theories mm. and that theory has to be propagated further okay but you need a reference you need a source that is authentic and you need a source that has some credibility behind it and unless you have that people don't accept theory and theory as well is something that many people find boring i am one of the exceptions i find it interesting <laughs> so my job is to take the theoretical aspect and make it make it as interesting as possible so mm. that people like to accept it in the practical scenarios also sure and sure. i try to strive as hard as possible to do that so my blogs are very sarcastic to be very honest uh <laughs> there are times when people would read it and they wouldn't understand what it is but uh, that's just because i take it a little a little far than i should sometimes <laughs> but it ha- it is heavily dependent on sarcasm and so is the uh, the book that i'm writing it is full of sarcastic uh, situations which make you think the idea is still to make you think like if you mm. read it it will feel like a very normal situation and you'll in your head you'll be like yeah this is how it's supposed to be isn't it mm. but then you kick in the theoretical aspect and you say this is why it shouldn't be and people go oh we missed that and just to create that experience for people it's uh, it's satisfying for me sure it will be very interesting to read your book so i'll be looking forward to uh, i i hope i hope uh, i find a publisher who's uh, who has the guts to print it <laughs> yeah but uh, i'm i'm hoping it happens yeah right let's go back to again work part of uh, your consulting work and agile work 
Uh, here is my um, curious question um, based on my current experience with um, working in Agile, especially from the SAFE um, consultant perspective. I have been working in SAFE for the last five years and yeah. various companies of various sizes. Uh, that is definitely, but I have not worked in any other particular frameworks like layers or scrum of scrums. Do yeah. you have any experience or insights in any frameworks that are popular in the market? And would you like to give your experiences or insights or share that with us, with our audience? Uh, sure. So I'm not that much into SAFE. Uh, it has been like a goal for me to get into SAFE since the past few years now, but I have not been able to do that. I'm more of a Scrum and XP guy. Okay. Uh, so when it comes to Scrum or Extreme Programming, that's uh, usually where my interests lie. And for me, a lot of the problems that I try to tackle, mm. uh, they kind of fall into these two buckets. So it, it's uh, something where I have not left the arenas, uh, at least mm. yet. Mm. And one can always say that, hey, because you don't have interest in other things, that's why you... You maybe you don't know what other solutions you can have. Sure, that is a possibility. I wouldn't deny that. Uh, mm. But it's not that I don't venture into other things. Um, I, it's more focused towards the Scrum and XP thing that I, and that I provide. And uh, the funny thing that I have observed a lot of times is that you have these two communities, which are a community of like pure Scrum enthusiasts. And then you have a community of pure XP enthusiasts. And they usually don't like each other <laughs> because <laughs> there's uh, there's one like the XP has this uh, XP practitioners can very well say that, hey, Scrum does not provide any steps for how you should actually build software, for example, which is highly important because you need to know the good engineering practices in order to build software, which is a valid point. Mm -hmm. But the Scrum practitioners would say, hey, that's where we are giving you the freedom because we are not binding you by certain practices. We are giving you the freedom. Sure. And one may feel that this is a point where the two of these groups should fight. But for me, it is like a good complement to each other. There yeah. are uh, quite a few overlaps between XP and Scrum. Uh, a few of those overlaps are not very direct. Uh, but I, But there are two statements in both of these frameworks that make it uh, easy for this uh, for this merger to happen. Uh, and I think a mm. lot of people miss that out. So mm. if I go through Scrum, and the new version has not yet come out, I think it's supposed to come out in this month. Uh, yeah. But the Scrum guide, usually, uh, if you go to the bottom, there's one sentence that says that you can do part of Scrum. No one's going to stop you. There's no Scrum police. But if you don't do Scrum in its entirety with all the events and the artifacts and the uh, and the rules, uh, then don't call it Scrum because Scrum is immutable. Mm -hmm. And unless you're performing the entire framework in, in its entirety, you don't call it Scrum. XP, on the other hand, the moment Kent Beck starts the, his book, uh, Extreme Programming Explained, which is kind of a Bible for XP, mm -hmm. uh, he says, every team does XP differently. Mm. Like this is the two big contrast between the frameworks. One framework suggests that you have to do it by the rules. Yeah. And the other one says that, hey, every team does it differently. So don't be, uh, don't be scared if, if you see people doing things differently. 
Mm. But the one place where both of them converge is it's fine if you do things differently, but don't mess with the values and principles. And mm. both Scrum and XP have a set of values. Sure. And those values overlap. You got courage in XP, you got courage in Scrum, you got respect in Scrum, you got respect in XP, uh, you got self-organizing team and flow and focus and everything. So like the, the principles are exactly the same, mm. but your practices differ. Yeah. And that's the reason for, why for me, Scrum and XP become like a, like a complementary thing and I'm happy to uh, embrace both. Uh, because there are a lot of overlaps that I can use. And since I am related to software development, I, uh, I build software for my clients. Uh, it kind of XP becomes like a natural thing that flows. So everything from test first development to ensuring continuous integration happens, continuous delivery and all of that, that comes from XP, but at the same time, running an iteration, inspecting and adapting, that's much closer to Scrum. And it's very easy for me to combine the two. Okay. So that's the reason why I have been a Scrum and XP guy for a very long time because it has it fits my purpose, mm-hmm. and uh, that's that's usually where I work. So it's it's very limited to these two. Okay. So Vishal, uh, it's almost time for us to wrap up mm-hmm. uh, this chat. And as a, as a parting thoughts, I would really like to request you that the audience that is um, going to listen to this podcast from all over the world mm-hmm. certainly um, like to take away a couple of key points that you want from your experience to share with others. Do you have mm-hmm. one, two or three key takeaways that people should really remember out of this podcast? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, the major key takeaway for me would definitely be the education aspect of it. And uh, it's very close to my heart. And for me, getting educated in any particular uh, theme or context or even methodologies is highly important for, uh, for getting good results. Mm-hmm. And think of it as the first step. Once you have got yourself educated and done it the way uh, we are supposed to do it, let's say the textbook way of doing it, then you're free to experiment. And the experimentation Mm -hmm. comes uh, the second part. You need to experiment frequently, Mm. but all of your experiments, rather most of your experiments are going to fail. Mm. But that's not something that should dishearten you. That's, That's a good thing. So one of the attitudes that we need to build in ourselves is the attitude of learning to fail. Like we need to be so comfortable with failure that we don't mind taking the risk of doing something new. Wow. And do it as frequently as possible. So education will still be like my first stand that you need to first get your, like if you're a physicist, you need to first understand what physics is. And the same thing applies to Agile. If you want to be a good Uh, agilist, then you need to first understand what agile and agility is all about. So educate yourself well, but once you have done that, frequently experiment and see uh, how things work out and get used to failing because that's what brings in innovation and that is what will push people beyond. So as long as we can do that, at least it makes me happy. (laughs) And let's see. (laughs) 
I really like the way with which um, uh, you concluded this uh, this this chat that um, uh, educate, experiment, and learning to fail. Thank you so much, Vishal, for your time. Thanks a lot for being a guest on my podcast, and best of luck for your podcast. Uh, all my best wishes for you uh, being a published author, and we all will look forward to get and read your book as soon as um, uh, it is published in the market. So please keep us posted. And uh, Absolutely. I, I really look forward to talk with you after a few days, maybe once your book is published. And we'll invite you to share that experience on this podcast again. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Mandar. It was nice, uh, nice to be here. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Please like, share and subscribe to this podcast and to this YouTube channel. Thank you.